Welcome to Les Eat, all queers, all food, all the time, with your hosts, Honey LaFleur and JT Newman. So y'all, hold on. So y'all have never met, right? I don't think so. That is wild. Okay, so Honey LaFleur and I met in Chicago. Um, Honey was my burlesque student, and then she did a ton of my burlesque shows back in the day. She is Honey LaFleur, the girl with the sweetest nectar and the sharpest bite. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually sounds familiar. So I don't, I went oh to God. a lot of shows. So maybe, maybe it's we've possible been you saw her at Mary's Attic at one point. Mm-hmm. That's quite um, possible. Yeah. And so or that, uh, that wretched Pink Floyd show. <laughs> I wasn't in that. Yeah, I know. You got me into it and then you fucking left. Damn it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't do this because my friend of me was in the in the cast. So I just oh, couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah, big deal. Anyway, we, will, we shall not speak her name, even though I've made amends with her at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. And Jenny and I met, oh, my God, like in 2001, I want to say. Yeah. Um, we've known each other for about 20 years. Uh, when I started Dyke Mike at Bailiwick, she was one of my regular, uh, Mikers and, uh, you are she, her, correct? Still. I'm, I'm, um, anything respectful. They, them, she, her, he, him, sir. All right. All the things. I love it. Yeah. I think, yeah, we'll just float around with what feels right. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, so Jenny, I was one of the first people I was aware of as a chef who was my friend. And that was a really cool thing. Um, and they started a cafe, I think in, in God, 2000, maybe? No, uh, it was like 2008 was the cafe. Well, I opened, I actually opened up um, a restaurant for Inspiration Cafe in 2005, maybe close to 2006. Um, and then I opened up my own uh, space in 2008. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. All right. So um, we'll ask you a whole bunch of questions. This is Les Eat. Um, we're all queers, all food, all the time. And uh, we were just super psyched to have you on because I know you're doing a lot of cool things right now. Thank you. Uh, so why don't you tell us who you are? Yeah. Um, so... Jenny Urban, um, and I, I have been in Chicago for about 20 years. Um, I came here from Kentucky, where I got my culinary degree in Louisville. My dad and I actually drove to culinary school together every day. Uh, we carpooled with a couple other culinary students, so we, we got our degrees together. Um, we drove about 80 miles there and 80 miles back a day, so that tells you I really like my dad a lot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, when I graduated, I moved here to Chicago with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And I just thought that I would continue to feed the rich as you're taught to do in culinary school. Um, and uh, I was having a hard time finding a job. It was an oversaturated market in the 2000s with Food Network making everyone believe they should be a chef. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, this was, you know, before smartphones and, and everything, um, I sent her off with my resume to fax to different places because her school had a fax machine. And, um, you know, with the classifieds where I had circled the potential jobs. 
And Kate went ahead and faxed my resume to a place that I had not circled called Sarah's Circle. And uh, Sarah's Circle has been around since the 70s. It's um, uh, a day shelter for homeless women. Mm. And uh, I, I walked in, I went to Uptown, like, where am I? What kind of restaurant is this? Um, and, you know, realized kind of in the interview, like, this is not where I thought I would be, but something really drew me there. And that's when I started working with, um, you know, folks who were facing homelessness. And it really like switched my gear around, my whole world around. Um, you know, I realized that food was not really just for the privileged. Um, so I spent some time there and I created a little culinary training program for the women participants, uh, just like a therapeutic thing to do, you know, to get off the street, make a meal, feel good about yourself, um, you know, work as a team, feel like you belong, something that's really like we take for granted. From there, I, I continued in that route for a while. I uh, taught culinary arts at Inspiration Cafe. We opened up a restaurant that served the public that was run by my students. They were refugees, ex-convicts, and individuals uh, facing homelessness. And um, that was a really awesome experience. And it opened other doors for me. I, I kind of moved on from there uh, to become the head chef instructor at the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Um, and uh, I ran their training program for a while uh, until my wife at the time and I had this really amazing opportunity to pursue a lifelong dream of opening our own restaurant. So I left my really good paying job with lots of benefits and perks and uh, I, I did it. I opened a restaurant. It was the hardest, most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. I, um, I hope one day I have the opportunity to do it again, um, knowing the things that I know now. I, um, I think it would still be around today if we hadn't hit the uh, economic collapse of, um, of 20, what was it, 2008. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one, yeah. yeah. Uh, while, while we had Urban Cafe open, um, even though it was only open for under a couple of years, we got a lot of really great attention from the gay media. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a big fucking queer. And um, so that that follows me and I get good attention for it. <laughs> so we uh, got a lot of great attention and some great press from the Chicago Free Press and Windy City Times and all the gay rags around town. And, uh, you know, I just felt like there was always like a photographer and a microphone and I loved it. Um, if, if I think we would have probably continued on that stride for a while, but when we decided to close down, it gave me the opportunity to be at home with my kids for a little while. Um, at that time, we had a, a two-year-old and a newborn. Um, we had some family tragedy. My, my dad, who I you know, mentioned I was very close to, had passed away uh, unexpectedly. And it was a really amazing opportunity to reset um, mm -hmm. after you know, absorbing everything. Um, yeah, when I, when I decided to get back in the industry, I went to Old Town School of Folk Music where I ran their hospitality for the last 10 years. I kind of called it like a victory lap, you know? Um, I felt like I had done the work and I just needed something easy to just run around and be like, ooh, look at me, um, which has been great um, up until the pandemic where we didn't really need a restaurant or a bar. Uh, our classes went online and um, I was given the second great gift in life to, to not work for a couple of years, um, 
which again has reset me. I feel like I'm just like stronger and better than I've ever been before. And it's perfect timing for me to start my new journey at Howard Brown Health Center as the nutrition health manager running their kitchen. So that's my long version of how we got here today. Today. That's awesome. Um, I'm so excited because that's a new program for Howard Brown, right? You're building that from scratch. It is. Uh, so I'm working in the Broadway Youth Center uh, department of Howard Brown Health Center. Um, we work with uh, LGBTQIA youth age 12 to 24, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, we offer clinical services, uh, mental health services. It's a, it's a really amazing community for um, you know, youth that have been mis misplaced, displaced, thrown out, um, haven't had the resources that they that every child deserves, but especially uh, a queer child. Um, and it's this amazing organization and amazing department that's um, you know giving people like a chance. They've never had food service before. Howard Brown's huge. I think there's like 16 locations plans on growing a lot in the next few years and almost 700 employees, but we've never had a kitchen. So um, I feel like I have the, the possibilities are endless. What I plan on doing for that space um, is, is going to be beyond anyone's expectations. Um, I'm able to take my background working in social services, um, my entrepreneur spirit, and uh, some life lessons that I learned in the kitchen um, to really uh, make a big impact on, on these queer youth. That is so awesome. That's so exciting. Well, one of the things that I think could be really good, and I, I see the possibility in it, is like creating a new paradigm for the way people are treated in kitchens. You want to talk a little bit about that? I will, because kitchens <laughs> are traditionally toxic. <laughs> Um, it was really hard growing up, uh, perceived as a woman in, in kitchens, especially in the South. Um, you, you're definitely held back, but on the flip side, I, I also had some, you know, male privilege in the kitchens too, where I felt like there were times that I was, uh, considered one of the guys, which was almost worse, um, because they didn't hold back uh, the, you know, misogyny, um, the harassment mm -hmm. uh, to other employees, front of the house employees. There's just this toxic culture that can happen that's accepted, unfortunately. At least that was my experience and the experience of a lot of folks in kitchens. Yeah, mine too, uh, even, even, you know, a couple years ago in New York City. So the bravado holds true. <laughs> And that kitchen, I believe, was run um, by a lesbian. Yeah. By a lesbian. Yeah. Um, how did how did that slip by? I oh, mean, she just had the biggest dick of them all, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that might fall into when you when when they treat you like one of the guys, and then you kind of yeah. feel like you have to roll with that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really. Sorry, go ahead. No, she had a lot of toxic traits. The, the thing that really got me that I was like, I'm, uh, I'm not going to do this anymore was when she kicked a pair of tongs at me. Oh, yeah. So it was oh, the like lean in, but like chef edition, <laughs> you know? lean in chef edition. I love it. I don't know. I've literally never been in a kitchen. I just know people who are chefs and they're all garbage. 
yeah. they're all trash i know it's it's a shame it's um it's such a boys club and uh it's very competitive and uh competitive in the way that you'd think that it would be like a competitive team sport if we all bring each other up we're the best team but it's more competitive like i'm i'm going to kick tongs at you and uh, make you feel like you don't belong because i'm you know folks are insecure or whatever i guess Mm. Um, I want to, yeah, I would love to uh, help be a part of the change in that industry. Um, when I was teaching in the various places, the, one of the first questions I would ask my students is, you know, what are you most passionate about in life? And of course, in that setting, their answer at the time was cooking. And I would let that sit for a second. And then I would ask, what are you going to do? And that's the hardest part of your life. Mm. You know, um, passions are, are, really uh, great as hobbies and great for the soul. But when your passion is connected to your paycheck in, um, in an environment you don't get to control, mm-hmm. you can have a, a different outcome. So it was kind of that, you know, do you really want to be here? Do you know what you're getting into? Kind of a kind of question that I would ask them. You just had a whole mouthful. Yeah, that's so good because that is exactly why I went to do, I went to stage and then I went to be a guard munch for a while. Um, in that restaurant in Manhattan, because I was like, I want to go to, I think I want to be a chef. I don't know. I was like, I really need to get into a kitchen. Um, I had a really awesome um, informational interview with a woman named Missy Robbins in, in New York city. And she is a, she's, she's a chef. She's got a couple of restaurants in Williamsburg. She's got a Michelin star. She's hot shit. She's a queer lady. And uh, she was like the only person that wrote me back out of any of the, I wrote like a dozen queer chefs and she was the one who wrote me back. And um, I went and talked to her and she's like, just go stage, go stage, see if you like it and then work somewhere. And so that's exactly what I did. And as, as we approached the pandemic and it was, it was like sort of just weird happenstance timing. I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Like, I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. I can't, I couldn't physically move fast enough with enough accuracy to churn out the salads the way I needed to. And like things like a hazelnut might fall into a salad and then people who have nut allergies might get it. Like it was stuff like that. Like I, I had a woman who had an allergy attack because oh. I dropped a hazelnut into her salad and it was like, she, yeah it was bad. It was very bad. And I was like, I told my chef, I'm like, this is not for me. And she's like, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the end of that. And the beginning of like, how, how am I going to engage with food? And so here we are. Right. And this is, um, this is an important way to engage with food for for the public too to understand you know and there's so many great things about working in a restaurant too um it's, fun. it's just we, we were covering that topic i mean i could go on and on about all the amazing reasons you should but yeah being careful about where you choose to work um <laughs> and you don't know until you got the job and you're a few shifts in and you're like oh <laughs> yeah i mean i as someone who like literally so I'm like the reluctant foodie of this crew okay yeah uh I would love to know what are some of I feel like we've spent a lot of time right talking about the not great things of restaurants on a lot of our episodes what are some things that like you really love about it like what are some of the oh shit 
is that better? Oh, yeah. What are some of the things that you like love about working in a restaurant or like what, what's like ex- been really exciting for you? Yeah, I, I actually love working with the public. Um, and I love working in kitchens that are open to the dining room. Okay. Um, I love, well, one of the reasons I love that is because you can't hide anything. Um, so you don't end up in an environment that's toxic when you work in a space where they can, they can hear you and see you. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. might be because I'm an entertainer and I want the spotlight on me. Um, you know, I want the engagement, but, you know, being able to communicate um, through what I think you want is really exciting for me. Uh, similar to, you know, my, my music um, experiences. It's like, I think you want to hear this. I think you want to eat this. Like, I think you're really going to dig this, whether you know it or not. And a little challenge for me is to, um, you know, uh, to know what people want more than, it's more than what I want to give, you know, um, it's, it's more, it's not me saying like, this is the best dish. I love it. It's more like, what are you going to want? You know, um, I love brunch. I think you should have an entire separate podcast just on how amazing brunch is. Um, <laughs> The, the speed, the speed that uh, JT you mentioned is um, is tricky and uh, and can be problematic if you fall behind a single step. Uh, and I, I and I was I was on brunch, so that was it was insane. It was like three hundred and fifty to four hundred covers every brunch shift. So yeah, I, I kind of love that. Uh, I don't know another job that, um, I mean, I, okay, there's other jobs that you probably have that thrill, but I don't want to be in charge of, I don't want to be the doctor in an ER getting that rush. I'd rather be the chef in the kitchen, (laughs) you know, but it's that same adrenaline rush where you can't really stop. You have to keep going because if you stop, that just messed up all the tickets that are waiting on you. And specifically, you know, since we're talking about brunch, like eggs get cold fast. Yeah. Overcook fast. You have to really be, hold on one second. I'm, I'm doing that interview, mom. <laughs> oh my God, that's the sweetest thing ever. I'm gonna keep, I want to keep that in. My, my mom's walking down the sidewalk and I heard someone scream in my window, Jenny Urban. And I'm like, <laughs> mom. God, you're embarrassing me. We have to keep those. Can we keep that in? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's because I didn't answer the phone when she called earlier. <laughs> you know, my, my, my parents are, are, are the reason I'm here today though, you know, for sure. Um, having a really uh, close relationship with both my parents that has allowed me to be, you know, my authentic self and be a big freaking queer and pursue an industry that doesn't always pay well and forms bad habits because they saw that I, they allowed me to always feel confident in speaking about what I want and like following some dreams. Cause I know there's a lot of parents, if you said like, I'm gonna open a restaurant without financial backing, they'd probably try to talk you out of it. And instead my parents, you know, had a custom neon made to hang in the front window so, um, yeah, so I got to give them like all the credit that got me here today uh, to be a, a confident queer individual in this industry that, you know, in my own right is successful. So, 
Super they awesome. Helped pay for culinary school. That helped too. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Penny, do you want to ask anything? Um, I'm super curious about this like new this Howard Brown role. Like, can you talk about some of the like things that you might have planned or even like, I don't know, like what yeah, just like more about it. I'm so excited for it and curious because I think it's something you know, I haven't been in Chicago and like, I just realized I've been gone for 12 years. Okay. Well, and okay. that's, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> like, um, I just like, I know that that's shit that Chicago needs. And it's just, it feels so exciting as someone who I don't miss the city, but I still hold it dear to my heart. So I'm so excited to hear more about that. Yeah. So um, it was an interesting position that I was in because they, uh, I knew some people that work at Howard Brown and, um, they contacted me and asked if I could offer up some opinions and ideas about what they could do with this new kitchen. And, um, it was awesome. I got to go into this kind of consulting them without feeling like there was any pressure that there was a job waiting for me or anything. Uh, I thought, well, I've got a job, you know, um, but I would love to talk about food. I was also, I spent a lot of time during the pandemic um, uh, volunteering at soup kitchens, um, some of which I used to work at. So that was really cool. And it got me, you know, back in the mindset that I have a gift and I'm able to share it and there's people that need it. So when Howard Brown asked me to come talk about what they could do with this space, I was already seeing the, the, the demands firsthand of what uh, this pandemic was doing to folks that don't have housing and don't have funding and have a hard time getting someone to donate the money on a, on a good day. Imagine a pandemic, mm. nobody, nobody even wants to roll their window down to, to hand someone a dollar in the middle of the pandemic. So the work I was doing volunteering just you know was really eye-opening that also that I was seeing the same people that I saw 20 years ago in the same soup kitchen line. That was really hard for me to, to, to think that, have we failed them? Um, obviously our society has, but how do you end this cycle of, mm -hmm. of homelessness and food insecurities? How can the same person be in the same soup line 20 years later? So when Howard Brown asked me to give my opinions, I was just like, I'm going to give it to you straight. You know, um, th there is there is such a need to do this right, because we finally have this could be the opportunity to end that cycle for a young person to not be in the next soup kitchen line 20 years later. So I presented this vision that was probably bigger than maybe they thought was even possible. You know, I was like, here's what we could do in a year. Here's what you could do in five years. But in 10 years, like make it mobile, you know, find the areas that you are needed. So you're not just restricted to, you know, these four walls and let's build a kitchen that's scalable to all those needs. Because as much as the end goal would be that we don't need this kitchen because nobody needs us. Yeah, well, that's probably unlikely. There's probably going to be more of a need. So I gave them some great ideas and, you know, they asked if I would be interested. And I, I kind of was like, uh, I don't, I have a job. I don't even know. Um, 
then I went home and I thought about it and I talked to my kids about it. And I talked to my, I have a really supportive, amazing partner and she's, she's fucking brilliant. And, um, it was really nice to just kind of like have everyone point out some obvious things to me that like, I'm already doing the work. I'm already like ready to get back into it. So I stepped back from the consulting role um, and uh, told them that when the position was available, I would be interested in applying for it. And uh, it's my understanding that some really qualified, amazing people applied for the same position. And I, I, um, I'm slowly going to reach out to everybody to get us all involved in some way. My 20 years of working in social service, the social service world, I've, uh, I had a lot of chef mentors myself, a lot of people that helped, you know, bring me up in the kitchens and, and teach me about management. And um, so now I'm in this really cool position where I'm calling them back and I'm like, all right, you know, we need you back. I know you're retired, but you know, how can we, um, how can we utilize your knowledge? And, um, you know, I'm talking to the, the founder of Inspiration Cafe, you know, we're having coffee and um, I never burnt a bridge along the way. So this has been full circle. I'm, I'm able to like reach out to, you know, generations of, of knowledge um, to try to end this cycle. So the space itself is in a, a brand new building. It's not even open yet. We're looking at early October. Um, the kitchen was uh, designed by, there was a lot of influence from Chef Fresh Robertson, who's this amazing uh, chef in Chicago that uh, I'm so excited that she was a part of the vision for the space because she really designed it to be a scalable space um, that hopefully we won't outgrow for a while. Day one, my, my, my job and, uh, and my responsibility is to provide you know, a couple meals a day to 70 youth is kind of what we're seeing our, our numbers at right now. Um, but I plan on, on doing a lot more than that. We're going to do programming. Our, 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 our definition of success will probably be a little bit different than other job training programs. I think other job training programs are, have to be set. Success equals a job that you keep for a certain amount of time. Um, I imagine our programming will be more supportive, um, more therapeutic, and success uh, is going to have a lot of different definitions depending on, you know, what the youth need. Mm -hmm. um, being able to cook for yourself is something that uh, every single person should be able to do in just a basic form of self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. um, being able to care for yourself. I want to do programming that's based on nutrition. Um, you know, we, we are what we eat. <laughs> if you are, um, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, that makes it a little trickier. So uh, I plan on working with other, uh, with BIPOC chefs in the Chicago area. Um, I think it's important that, um, you know, we utilize the great resources we have in, in this city. We live in the best, sorry, New York, but we live in one of the best food cities in the nation. Um, and I think that there are a lot of ways that I'm going to be able to, this is all unofficial, right? You know, I'm, I'm just writing out all the ideas right now. So sure. my boss might call me in the office and be like, we haven't done that yet, but <laughs> I, see the, I see the possibility for us to bring food 
to folks as an incentive. It could be a way that uh, we're already doing like pop-up um, health sites in different areas of the city. Uh, wouldn't it be great if one of the incentives to get people to that space is that we have a guest chef hmm. from that community. Um, come and get some awesome food. And while you're here, let's check on STIs. Let's get you vaccinated. Let's check your blood pressure. Um, also, you know, looking at, I'm sorry. That's just really amazing. I think that's, I think that's such a cool way to also create community. Like JT and I always talk about how like food encourages community building, right? Like yeah. gathering around food is like the thing. And, and that is just, I think that's such a cool way to get folks into a space for things like testing, like just health checks and like thinking about. Oh, she froze again. Caring for yourself amongst people. And it's so radical in like the best way. I hope you get to do that. <laughs> I think I will. Uh, I think that I, one of the things that I am really appreciating so far in my new role is uh, the tremendous amount of support and uh, I'm getting a lot of respect as the person that is um, educated in the stuff that I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a food person in a medical facility. So uh, just that in the same way that I wouldn't go to the doctor and say, I know what you ought to be doing. I, I think I'm getting that same um, level of respect back, which is great. Um, you know, they're asking me from my experience, what is possible and not possible. And I'm able to give like a real, like a real answer not just a dreamy answer. But, you know, um, piggybacking on what you're saying about community, um, I do plan on doing really big things there, but one of the most important things is going to be working with the youth on the daily um, and, you know, community, it's something we, we take for granted, especially because, you know, we are in one place, we're in a stable place, we have friends that we can reach out to, I, you know, in multiple forms. I walk outside my door every day and I know my neighbors but when you don't have permanent housing, uh, you don't have those things. You cannot just uh, assume you can trust the people around you. So I think food is going to um, be that, that time of the day where you can just relax. I hope my youth can all come together. And it used to be in the social service world, uh, I, I just remember always hearing like, oh, we just want everyone to feel like normal, you know, like, you know, like a normal person gets to sit down and have a meal and have a family. And um, recently I, I heard someone use the word belong and I like that a lot better. Uh, just in the core of all humanity, isn't it that we just want to belong? Mm -hmm. and I think food really does that. You know, when you're sitting across the table from somebody breaking bread, um, there's no doubt that you, you belong. Um, and I, I, I'm really excited about that opportunity. In some ways, I probably have the easiest job there. All I have to do is make good food and show up every day. Um, and, and people will feel like they belong. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, cool. I mean, I really, I love the, like the duality of the program, right? Cause you're teaching people how to cook and then you're also feeding people. And so yeah. that's like the best. Yeah. yeah. And that to me feels so sustainable for a community, right? Like you constantly, like it gives me feelings of like, um, you know, not to, I don't know, advertise for a big company, but that online eyewear company that I love so much, <laughs> like 
they don't just like give a pair like when you buy a pair online they don't just give a pair to someone in another country actually create like sustainable like eye care in a country and like that's part of their business model and it's just so cool and I feel like that's sort of at the root of like stuff that you're trying to do of like teach people how to actually care for themselves and like nourish their bodies in real ways um and like you know and it like sounds like what I also hear is that like you're going to figure out how to get creative so that they can like nourish themselves really well even when they don't necessarily know what like what they have to use right because that's a big part of it and I think that so often you get these like I don't know you have people trying to tell people like this is what you eat and it's like not everyone can afford all this shit <laughs> like can yeah. we get a little more creative with it and I I feel like that is it's just like really special and cool in in Chicago I feel like the divide is it's like it's like neighborhoods where you have white people you have people of color and like well, yeah it feels very like segregated in like many ways to me there's insane food de- food deserts in Chicago too yeah. I mean I used to live I, I had a house, um, it was like a time when I was really broke and um, I lived in a house uh, at Pulaski and Division and oh, it was hardcore, like way out there. And the only um, produce that we could get was from the corner store. And like, it was just like, it was a liquor store and then it had like a tiny stand of produce. And I was like, this is for real. This is how food deserts are. And like for me as a privileged person living in that neighborhood, like I was, I was in some financial distress at the time. And I was like, kind of having a financial bottom. Um, and, um, it, it helped me to get back. I was unbanked for a little while, whole another story, but, um, you know, uh, it was a real eye opener to me how, how, how systemic and like how, just insanely pervasive it is to live in a neighborhood like that and not have access to fresh food. Yeah. And luckily I had a car and could go to Trader Joe's and like, you know, it's, I, I just can't imagine if you were on the bus trying to go to a grocery store. Right. Yeah. I, um, places like the night ministry, uh, the food depository, um, there's this chef that I'm like obsessed with, uh, chef Quentin love, who at night turns his restaurant into uh, a soup kitchen, um, you know, uh, because that's what it takes, you know, uh, realizing that like, we're all not, you know, there is not equity uh, in, in this city um, that allows us all to have the same opportunities with food and jobs and everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very obvious uh, an obvious problem that you'd think would be there'd be some real obvious solutions, but all these years we haven't figured it out. And I'm really happy to to work in a place that is uh, trying to come up with answers um, and 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 putting the resources behind it. I think it's really important. Um, you know, Howard Brown started off as four medical students that were coming together, and I think it was. 1976, because there was an, an outbreak, an STI outbreak in the gay male community. Um, and, you know, you, you weren't really safe going to your family doctor back then as a gay man who had, you know, an STI. And, and, and where we are today, uh, you know, 45 years later is amazing. Um, it's, 
sad that there's still so many needs and equally amazing that we're able to, we're not shying away from any of them. There are a lot of needs in the LGBTQI community and uh, you know, my department specifically working with the youth, it's heartbreaking, um, but we have a real opportunity to, um, to make a difference. Yeah, that's great. It's yeah. so great. Yeah, the other piece, the other piece was when I was at um, Center for Health and doing Dyke Mike, and there used to be youth that would walk there from the south side. And I was just like, that's in, like, I just couldn't believe like how, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm, ju I'm just talking about, I'm just Art. going on about it. But it, th these were moments in my life where I realized like the amount of privilege that I had and like how much, how much other people, people of color, you know, people who don't have means struggle. You, you have to be, uh, you have to kind of allow yourself to be uncomfortable to realize your state of privilege. And um, a lot of people are, don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to plug again, Chef Fresh on um, who, who is our, on our board of directors and help design the kitchen. Uh, because Chef Fresh uh, also does a lot of like farm to table stuff and community farming throughout Chicago. And that Chef Fresh should be here on your podcast sometime to, um, to talk about some of the disparities, um, you know, that we face in different I'm parts. Already, I was already looking. Her Thank you. What, what yeah. an amazing person. I mean, like we had a, uh, we had like a, our, our first Zoom intro earlier this week and I still feel so energized and inspired mm -hmm. and um, I'm so grateful that I'm working in an organization that, you know, that's, that's part of our leadership, you know, um, Chef Fresh doing this grassroots work, um, you know, I'm so excited and uh, has a lot of knowledge about and, and a lot of investment in grains and bread making and milling. And I'm so excited to continue to learn about that um, and uh, different grains and uh, it's gonna be great. Super cool, super cool. Can we pivot? Yeah. Um, I would love to talk to you about um, your experience at Old Town School of Folk Music and sure. some of the awesome queer artists that you, uh, you know, some stories from that time that you, you made food oh. for, or, or yeah. you know, like what's Ani DeFranco's favorite meal, or like. That's awesome that you mentioned that. I, I wrote, since there were so many, uh, I did keep notes, so I'm pulling that up, because I, over 10 years, I, I forgot about, like, oh yeah, I fed that person too, um, Okay. I was just thinking about Ani DeFranco because Ani and Indigo Girls are playing at, um, at uh, what is it called? Outdoor Music the Ravinia. next week. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, me too. We'll, we'll, well find together. We should, wow. we should picnic we'll together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I, I, will, I will text. Have fun. <laughs> All right. Here's my notes. Annie and Indigo Girls are the same in the same concert. It's like it's like the Gen X um, perfect storm lesbian, uh, you know, gathering. Yeah, and I, um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that show too. And and uh, they have a third they have a third person joining them uh, later on in their tour. So unfortunately, not here in Chicago, but Zoe Bookbinder was okay. amazing uh, and did some work with Annie. 
I had a chance to um, hang out and camp with Zoe last year. It was a, a safe outdoor event during the pandemic. We were like, well, we can camp. That seems safe. And um, we spaced out around the fire and, and jammed all night. And it was just amazing. So uh, for folks on the East Coast that are listening mm -hmm. in, try to check out that show with, uh, with Ani, Zoe, and uh, the Indigo Girls. Uh, speaking of Indigo Girls and Ani, so I, I did have uh, a, a near miss. Uh, it, it was lined up to be perfect to, um, to I, I offered uh, when the Indigo Girls were in town playing at Old Town School of Folk Music, someone needed to pick them up from the airport. And I was like, oh, me, please, please. And uh, I'm friends with some people that made it big because, um, because Amy Ray heard of them. Um, you know, Coyote Grace, uh, who I love dearly, uh, toured with Amy Ray and the Indigo Girls, um, you know, because Amy Ray was, you know, keeping an ear out for really good music. So when I offered to drive them to chauffeur them, I thought, well, here's an opportunity to let them hear some independent queer musicians they've never heard of before, possibly. And, and who knows, maybe they'll hear a song as we're driving and say, wait, who's that? I need to put them on my label because I'm like dreamy like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I put together, uh, I, I play with uh, my, my bestie is Scott Free. And Scott Free has been in the queer music scene for, I, I'm not even going to put a number on it because he looks so young, you wouldn't believe it, <laughs> but for, for decades. And um, he has helped bring a lot of queer independent musicians uh, to the, the spotlight they deserve. And so I, I reached out to him and I said, let's put together the most kick-ass queer independent playlist to, to be playing in the car when I drive them around. I went and got my car detailed. Like I paid to have my car detailed. I was like, I am, I got a haircut. I like had my suit. I was so ready. And the day of, I had laryngitis. Oh, no! And the concert manager was like, go home now. Like, Nobody I, I was like, it's okay. They won't notice. <laughs> I went down to the local, um, uh, apothecary and I was like taking mints and drops and oils and sprays and I was steaming and and there was no hiding it I had laryngitis and I probably needed to not be around the artists but you know what? next time you never know um Ani though did happen um Ani I was asked to do several writers uh backstage writers for musicians as they they came through and uh, Ani DeFranco was someone I have been a huge fan of and very influential in my, my young queer life. So when I knew I had the opportunity to cook for her, I was like, oh, okay, let's do this. Now the cafe at Old Town School of Folk Music was very much a cafe and not a restaurant, meaning there was no hood. So there was no real cooking equipment. I mean, I was, I was pulling miracles out of like panini presses and toaster ovens, um, <laughs> you know, like you'd have at your house. And I decided I would go all out and uh, treat it like a, you know, four-star catering opportunity. I designed a menu for, I'm going to grab that menu. I have it hanging over here. Oh my gosh, what? Yes. We're going to walk through my, my place here. Excuse any mess. Will, um, you, will you send me a photo of that later so we can put it on our Instagram? Sure will. Yeah. 
Amazing. Uh, oh, that's their, oh, we had multiple menus. There was a lunch menu and a dinner menu. Okay. All right, funny. Okay. Yeah, so I, um, <laughs> I was like, Ani's Italian and make some Italian food. And um, <laughs> I didn't realize that Ani was coming off of a tour, literally coming off of a, a plane from Italy. <laughs> I didn't know that until like that day and someone mentioned it and I was like, oh no, like that's like a fresh comparison. Not only that, I'm sure like <laughs> Ani's grandmother had like perfect recipes too, I'm sure. But uh, all right, so here's the menu. For lunch, we had a Caesar salad, a sandwich bar with some fresh baked breads. I made like a charcuterie plate. I did a, a vegan gluten-free Tuscan bean soup and some assorted pastries. And um, I will uh, I will send you a real copy. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for dinner, we did uh, an arugula with toasted pine nuts, grilled vegetables, and a lemon vinaigrette. I did an antipasta platter, um, some more charcuterie, grilled vegetables, olives and cheese from um, our local delicatessen. I think I did, um, maybe I did jeans for that, jeans um, uh, shop down the street. I did uh, another gluten-free vegan soup. Um, this time it was um, what ended up being a favorite for a lot of artists. It's a, a ginger lemon soup. Yeah. Um, uh, ginger lemon lentil soup. Um, I did chicken piccata and I, Ani doesn't need to know like, like this like makeshift situation that I made in that cafe where I've got like little like burners and uh, it was, it was awesome actually. I did a, a sun-dried tomato penne pasta salad with some grilled mushrooms and walnuts and shaved Romano. And I did some um, handmade pastries for that. Yum. Yeah, and, uh, uh, that was the dinner menu. I spilt wine on it where Ani did. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say Ani spilt the wine. Yes. She likes red wine. Ah, <laughs> good to know. Good to know. So Ani's hanging out in the building like one of our uh, Wiggle Worms moms. That's one of our classes there for young kids. And Ani's uh, second child was still in a stroller and one of the rules there working there is you don't, you don't go up to the artists and treat them like you're a fanboy. You know, you're supposed to just like, you know, total professional. So I see Ani walking around all day and I'm like, don't look, don't look, don't, you know, like maybe she'll come to me and have a question, but I'm not really supposed to like make her feel uncomfortable. I've also been told that Ani's a little reserved. So I expected that. The, um, the tour manager told me, don't serve, don't don't make too much food because they won't take any of it with them and pointed out that they had a really small refrigerator in the tour bus and not to be offended if there were a lot of leftovers and I was like okay I get that um although I will say at the end of the night uh they took all of the food home I had to go I ran out of to-go containers I had to run over to the restaurant next door and I was like help me chef emergency I need some like compostable to-go containers like I'm not trying to put Ani's food in, you know, plastic bin. <laughs> um, but one of the great things that happened during that, uh, you know, I popped in and out a couple times to make sure their food was all set up and everything. And Ani was really nice. 
complimented the food, was very welcoming. But the amazing thing that happened was um, the tour manager needed a set of keys made. And the closest hardware store was kind of a, it was a bit of a maze to get there. So I said, well, I can drive you over there. Uh, while we were in the car, I mentioned, I myself as a musician and a chef have suffered from tendonitis my entire life. And I knew that Ani suffered from tendonitis and had even like canceled shows, didn't play for like a year out in shows uh, because her tendonitis was so bad. So I mentioned, I said, well, I actually have this massage device that cured my tendonitis. And I probably sounded like a salesperson, but I was like, it really cured my tendonitis. I haven't had any problems for years. And the manager said, do you have that on you? And I was like, I live on the block. I can go get it, <laughs> which I ran as fast as I could. Like my, my clogs were about to fly off. Um, I ran back with this massage device and I started to tell the manager, well, here's how you use it. And she said, well, no, 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 no. Let's just go downstairs and you show Ani how to use it. Oh my so God. I, I got to go hang out in um, the world. There's this famous green room that we have where all the artists have signed their names and it's this magical place, you know, decades worth of musicians energy. Ani's in there with like her guitar. She wears it kind of high. She's practicing something. And I was introduced as, oh yeah, this is the chef who's going to massage your arm. <laughs> Which I did. Ani and I, for about 45 minutes, had the most amazing conversation about being parents, being musicians, being foodies, having tendonitis, and how having tendonitis really prevented us from doing a lot of things in our lives. For me, cooking, and for her, she shared that she had really trimmed down her set list because so many songs were painful uh, with her tendonitis. I mean, she really like rips into her guitar and uh, and how she had just, there are songs that from like her first album, she just was never gonna play again because it was just too painful. Mm. Um, I massaged her arm. <laughs> we had the best time. Um, and I will say as an Ani fan who can see her every time she comes within a few hundred miles, some of those songs have come back. And I do ah. wonder. I do wonder if uh, my chicken piccata mixed with massaging skills helped bring some of that back. <laughs> I, I, I sign off on that. Yeah, I co-sign. 100%. <laughs> um, and some of the other famous queers uh, or queer inspired, uh, Dar Williams, I don't know how Dar Williams um, identifies, but I know that Dar has been an influence to a lot of us. Also loved my gender lentil soup. Um, you know, Lucinda Williams, again, <gasps> I love her world. Uh, I made a very wonderful veggie panini with roasted vegetables, Yum. the Chicago sky team, basketball team. Um, I, um, catered their event and I think we, we know there's a bunch of family on <laughs> the women's basketball team. Um, I have no idea about that. You know, I'm, I'm not here to out anybody, but I'm going to guess. Um, <laughs> I uh, made an amazing salad for Rufus Wainwright, who on his writer was very specific about what vegetarian is and is not. 
and uh, was very clear that just because you're a vegetarian does not mean you want pasta. <laughs> I, I love those directions. So I made this awesome meal. Um, and, uh, you know, going way back, uh, a lot of us, I think, were influenced in our younger years uh, by this powerful musician, Ella Jenkins. And so I've had the opportunity to feed Ella Jenkins many times as she's a, um, uh, a wonderful person that often performs for the children at Old Town School. Not gay, but I have a lot of pride that I fed Steve Martin a tuna fish sandwich. Um, <laughs> and I made boiled eggs for Arlo Guthrie. Oh, wow. And Henry Rollins might as well have been a lesbian because all he wanted was hummus. Um, oh my God. <laughs> That's he wanted like lots of hummus and he was there for a few days and I was like no one could ever eat all this hummus and he did um yeah there's there's been a lot of uh, fun folks that have come through there Megan Mullally um and her dude wanted salads that was fun uh I've been asked to make weird drinks um I fed the I fed the whalers man, you know, from Bob Marley and the Whalers and Bunny Whaler and I had this really cool conversation about paninis in England. And uh, a lot of times, sometimes I don't even know who the artist is and we just connect at the counter. Again, I, I love to work in a space where I can cook and talk to the people. That's fun. <laughs> That's so fun. And so, you're you know, still going to be doing some uh, work at Old Town School, yeah. Well, uh, I, I can plug that that position's available if the right person is up for it. Um, and uh, I'm gonna be helping in the meantime until they find um, a great replacement, uh, which is an awesome opportunity for any musician, uh, lover of food, lover of banjos and beer. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm there to help in the meantime. I, uh, you know, I, I believe, uh, you know, for my success uh, to be true, I have to uh, help the place that I'm leaving remain successful and be set up for the next round. Um, so yeah, I'm helping out a little bit. That's so awesome. Yeah. Ani, do we wanna do our glitter in the air and our yeah. one for the jar? Yes, do you wanna go first? Oh my God, glitter in the air is that I moved in with my girlfriend. Um, it's, it's so exciting, uh, the house is looking great it's, it's been really nice and sweet and, um, I'm just thrilled about it. And that's also my one for the jar unpacking and packing and all that shit sucks. It's just really hard. Yeah. So yeah, the, those are my both, uh, honey, you want to go ahead? Um, so my one for the jar is it's like a lot of things wrapped in one, but this fucking abortion ban, I just like, came Oh my God. Because you know that like Florida, Alabama, like so many other states that have already been like, bitch, hold my beer are about to just like pull some even bigger shit. Or the same. Um, yep. Also, uh, I'll share it on our Instagram, but we um, at the, so I'm in Portland and the Vessel Society is hosting one of our members, um, Courtney, who has worked in like abortion access and is in politics. Um, she works for a like, I think it's called family forward, but they uh, support moms in the workforce and getting like parental leave. Um, so not just moms, but, but parents. And she is actually going to do a talk on what 
this Texas legislation can mean for like Roe v. Wade and also like um, locally. So anyone outside of Oregon is totally welcome to come and we'll put it um, on our Instagram. But because uh, politics are confusing for a reason. <laughs> and so that's my fucking one for the jar. Also like Lil Nas X, just like do better. Don't fucking do a pregnancy shoot. That's fucking transphobic. Also like really insensitive, right? Literally the day after mm. fucking ban on abortion. So I don't know if you saw, but he did these photos. It's like his album is his baby. And he did like a prosthetic belly, like photo shoot. And it just was like, it's just like, I don't know why anyone, no one on his team was like, mm, maybe we should hold up. He also did like a fake sonogram with like him from the Montero video, like when he was like flying down to hell. Uh, um, so anyway, that's a thing. <laughs> and uh, my glitter in the air is that um, it's warm again in Portland um it's not fall yet y'all fall bitches can pull summer from my cold fucking dead hands i know that as a queer that is blasphemous but honestly halloween is too much pressure it's like fucking queer new year's and i don't not here for it <laughs> i will be in costume but damn it not we've, ready we've had pumpkin spice coffee the last couple days you know and that's fine but guess what it's still fucking summer all right leave me all alone right. <laughs> cool cool um, because Portland was brought up uh, I gotta say I was in Portland uh, recently and uh, Joe LeBlanc from Butch Voices uh, showed me around your amazing city and oh my god I can't wait to go back uh, Joe is an amazing tour guide and I just fell in love with Portland so now I have a new yeah. friend yeah hit back. me up yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, mine mine are going to be connected to um, how is it in 2021 we have food insecurities in this country, in this city? How is that possible? I do not understand. And until we come together to come up with a solution, it'll be me and all my queer friends and all my activists on the front line uh, fixing that problem. Um, addressing that problem. We need to be loud about it. We need to be visible about it. We cannot ignore this anymore. And that's my glitter because we're showing up right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jenny. This has been really awesome. Yeah, yeah this you. has been great. Yeah. And I will get with you about that picnic because I'm planning lots of picnic foods. So we'll, we'll chat. We'll chat. Yes. And okay. we can share our menu here later, the, uh, you know, how it went. You can drop some notes on what our picnic life was like. I will. I shall. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been really great talking to you. All yeah, right. Thank, thank you. You. you too. Bye, Jenny. Bye. This has been an episode of Les Eat, produced by Honey LaFleur and JT Newman. You can find us on Instagram at Les Eat Pod. Our theme was written and played by Elisa Plucky Rosenthal. You can find more of her music at elisarosenthal.com. Thanks for listening and tune in again.